What truth are you living on? What truth are you feeding on? What truths are running through your mind? See, I think what God wants to do this morning is he wants to bring us to a place where we actually take time to stop and think about the truths that we're telling ourselves. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Sometimes when we're living bound up by things, it's because we just don't know the truth. And I believe that for some of us, we've stood in a place of saying, you can't reach where I am. Actually, you're not enough. But I believe that God wants to bring us to a place where we can stand on the truth that he says to us. You just pop up the, um, I believe it's the first slide, talks about Psalm 47. Ah, that's a slightly different verse. A different slide. Just, 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 just one technical. Just no, it's fine. So I'm going to read you. Um, here you go. Sorry, I'm just going to read you. It doesn't. The slide's not important right now, and I don't want to lose what I was saying. So God is our refuge and strength. This is Psalm 46. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains should slip into the sea. Though the waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging. I'll just start from the beginning. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore we'll not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its, mountains, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Now this is Psalm 46 and we're going to come back to Psalm 46 later. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. At the end of those three verses, there's a little word in my Bible, um, which doesn't occur in all translations, and it's the word selah, which is a bit like amen, in that you can't really translate it. It's one of those words that is put into the psalm to sort of make us think, I wonder what that's there for. Well, actually, if you look into it, The word sailor has a very specific purpose and meaning. It's a musical instruction, and it means you need to take a, take a break at that point. It's a pause. But it's not just there because it's time for the music to move on to the next thing. It's because there's been a lot of truth in those preceding verses. And we could just move on to the next verses. But I think there are times in our lives when God wants us to feed on that truth. So, Lord, if you're my refuge and strength, what does that look like? What does it feel like? What, how have you been my refuge and strength? Lord, I want to thank you for that time that when I was going through my finals at university, that you were a safe place I could go to. Lord, I want to thank you that when I didn't feel able to face a, a particular uh, observation lesson, Lord, you were my strength, and I was unable to go through the, the, the rigmarole of the experience because you were my strength. So there's a, there's a place that God, I think, wants to bring us to in that. So, uh, so page down would be that one. 
Ah, oh, you see, it's got the magic word sailor in the bottom now. I thought that was missing. Okay, right. An attitude to life. Okay, have you ever seen cards like this? Typical working week, Sunday, Monday, uh, don't speak to me. Tuesday, God, get me through this day. Wednesday, please let me die. Thursday, life is slowly sleeping back to, sleeping back to me. Friday, getting ready. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um, life in the, in, the, in the sausage machine of life that we live in, the, the turn in the handle, the week on the week, the grind of life, the enemy wants to press us down into a mold where actually we survive just about. In fact, he'd be quite happy if we didn't survive, but actually what God has for us is a place where we know the truth and the truth sets us free. What God has for us is life and life in all its fullness, and that doesn't mean busyness. You know, work is a significant part of our calling, and the strategy for enemy is to get us caught up in doing it so that we, don't, but that we don't have time to listen to the truth that he says about us, that we can expect his grace, his help to change, to bring impact. Now, this is like the motto of life, isn't it? Rush, rush, do, do, get, get, make, make, take, take, grasp, grab, faster. Got to achieve more, got to get there, got to go. That's not God's love. That's not God's heart. God wants us to to rely on the yoke that he has for us. I once heard someone talk about this thing called quality time. You know, he said, um, he said, we invented quality time when we ran out of quantity time. Spending time with people that matter is the most important thing that you can do. You can bring impact, you can bring change. And sometimes we get so caught up in the rigmarole of, of the grind, that we can forget that. Um, now, I'm sure this has never happened to you, uh, two people having a very nice time, um, and it appears that the man is more interested in his mobile phone than the person he's gone out with. I remember um, this summer, we were having a whole load of stuff and nonsense after my exam results came out at my school. The A-level results came out, and we had some problems with our coursework. And um, essentially, I'd been working for about 12 years on a particular course. I was one of the authors of the course and was really excited about it, thought it was a great thing. But we were hitting a bit of a, um, a, bit of a problem with the assessment procedure, which meant that children were missing their grades, missing their university places, and... Um, there was quite a lot of the proverbial stuff hitting a proverbial fan. And, um, and basically, uh, it was showering everyone as this happens in quite a lot of not very pleasant stuff. And as I was on this, uh, I've been really stressed about it. And Christina said, look, we've got to go out and get you out of the house. We've got to go and do something else. So we went for a nice walk in the, uh, in the country. Um, I think it was Haver and Country Park. And we're walking along and my phone vibrates. So I thought, oh, I'll just have a little look. It's a work email. And I was lost then for about the next three hours into a complete pit of, of despondency about this email that I had got. Didn't need to get it at that point, but I had done. Now, the, word I, the, the thing I'm thinking about is that actually, you know, God doesn't intend 
for us to live under that kind of pressure. That's not the way that he wants us to be. And, and I just want to encourage you about how you are, because it's not that work isn't important. Work can be a calling to us. But for some of us, work can become a monster of its own. And there's just a slight, at the other end of this scale, where I think that work really doesn't matter, and everything I do in the church is important, and everything I do at work is a load of nonsense. I just do it to pay the bills. At the other end, you know, we've got this thing where, well, it's not really a pendulum, you see, because it's about my life being calling. God hasn't called me just to be a teacher. God's called me to do this. God's called me to be a, a husband, I think, most of the time. And, and he's called me to be a father. Uh, and um, if I can't kind of avoid those bits, he's called me to the sum of them. Book I once read described that. He said, I can't work out what my calling was. And I kept going to God and saying, Look, Lord, do you want me to do this thing or this thing or some other thing? And he showed him the Zigma sign, which for those of you who've done some math, the Zigma sign means the sum of them. It's like you get all the little bits and you add them together and you say, Actually, this is your calling. You mean my life? Yes. Yes. See, we might think that getting caught up in the toil was a new thing. The writer of Ecclesiastes puts it like this. There's a couple of different versions I just want to show you. He's, the writer of Ecclesiastes, if you're ever feeling in a slightly down mood, probably stay away from Ecclesiastes. But Ecclesiastes, the writer, is Solomon, we believe. He wrote Proverbs in Ecclesiastes, and what he's written, he said, I, saw, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The New American Standard Version calls it a striving after the wind. There can be a way in which we can get ourselves into a trying to work something up when actually what God wants is for something to grow from within because of the work he's doing so that it overflows out of us. Because if we strive, we just get, we just get worn out. Our work's important to God, so we give it to him as a sacrifice. God has to be far more than is summed up by the list. Has to be more. It has to be more for us to be in life than is summed up by the list of our achievements. I'll say that again because I haven't said it very clearly. God has called you to be more than the list of your achievements. So rushing on to the next thing is not a new problem. It's just part of the human condition. And God will give us help to take a pause, to weigh, to think, Lord, what is the truth that I need to hear? Um, so sailor comes from the word, or sailor, 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 says, comes from the word which means to hang, actually. And um, there's a, a man hanging some fruit. Um, you know, it's, it's like, it's what you do when you find out, like, what you've got. It's like finding out its weight. When God says something true, God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. That's something that's true. So take time to chew on it. Because he doesn't want you to 
to move on, as it were, without missing its significance. Because otherwise, tomorrow, when I'm under pressure, I don't remember the truth that he spoke to me today. It means, I say, it's like a musical instruction. It means stop and listen. Um, if you read the Amplified Bible, if you're into that, you know, that's one of the ones where it's got so many words and you can pick the bits that you like. Um, Selah's in pers- inter- interpreted as pause and think of that. Pause and think of that. Um, when I was a kid, that's another way of putting it. Stop, look, and listen. Um, and you're supposed to do that before you cross the road, aren't you? Well, in a way, I think that the word Selah is a bit like that. It's saying, right, you've read these words, now listen to me. What, am I, what is God saying to me in this? Stop, look, and listen, and live. And I, th- I came across that image, and I thought, you know, that's actually quite prophetic. I know it's about crossing the road, but it's not about crossing the road. I believe God's word to us this morning is about looking at that truth, looking intently into that truth, actively holding it before him and saying, Lord, let me live in the truth of that. I've often thought that Christianity is hard because it's simple. You know, the rich young ruler said, you know, what do I need to do? And Jesus could have given him a complicated answer, but actually what he said was, go and sell everything you've got. And that was, in one sense, very simple to, to do, but in another sense, very, very hard. When Naaman came to the prophet and said, what do I need to do? Who do I need to fight with to get cured of my leprosy? He said, go and wash in the river seven times. Now, as a warrior, that would have been intensely embarrassing and stupid. But he had to do it. Sometimes they're intensely embarrassing and stupid things, so it feels to us. But actually, God uses them as a means of grace. Baptism can feel like that. I remember joining this church, having, having uh, been brought up in a, a very different environment. Um, I thought... Uh, someone had thrown water on me when I was a, a you know, a sprog, and uh, came here with all sorts of theological problems with being rebaptized and this and that. And I sat in my foundation course, and the very helpful person running the course, who wasn't, isn't someone who's with us now, said, "Of course, all of you have been baptized, haven't you?" So I sat there neatly behind my theology, saying, "Oh yes, but not in the way you think. But I'll just keep quiet. I'll just keep quiet about that." Um, and, um, but God actually showed me that there was something I needed to do. God said to me, so you want to follow me, but you won't get wet. Um, how determined exactly are you about this process? Are you going to follow me whatever it takes? Well, if you can't, if you're, if you're standing behind some kind of philosophical position on this, just so that you don't have to look silly, I think you're not going to do very well later. <laughs> I didn't quite have a conversation like that, but that was the kind of gist of it. So I thought, no, I think I need to do this. And, um, and so I got baptized. Jesus said, sorry, John the Baptist said, um, when looking at Jesus, he must increase. I must decrease. It's a simple call, and it's our call. 
to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But actually, come on, feed on it. What does that mean tomorrow? What does it mean today? As we stop, look, and listen, I think God's going to help us to find life. Um, so Mark 11, um, funnily enough, is, um, well, today, if you went to a different church, you'd all be waving little bits of uh, reed and stuff, because today's Palm Sunday. Did you know that? It's the day when we remember that Jesus came to Jerusalem. Now, funnily enough, you'll see why it's here. It actually fitted. So, so I thought that's good. So um, I'm going to read you the story. So it comes from Mark 11, verses 1 to 11. And um, Jesus is walking along. And as they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you'll find a colt there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there um, asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they cut in the field. Those who went ahead of them and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, I've changed this slide from when I printed it, so it might be slightly embarrassing. But anyway, we'll try. The Lord needs it. What a ridiculous thing to say. I mean, he's going in, they're going into this village, and the word for Lord is the person who owns the... Is the, is the word that's being used is the person who's the owner of the cult. Okay, so, I mean, I don't even know if that's even true, is it? I mean, Jesus tells them to go and tell them that the master wants it, or that he's talking about the Lord, and he uses, and he uses the, the word there for either the owner of the, of the mule, but not the earthly owner in the sense that we have. Um, it means something about they heard what he said, and they went out and did it. It didn't have to be reasonable, and God doesn't actually have to be reasonable. When we're in the middle of God's purposes, we can ask for unreasonable things, have a ridiculous hope. It might be like, um, like we're talking about ha- expecting a house when we know that we should be waiting for 25 years for it. Or it might be that God's going to provide for me through my job when actually I've never known that sense of provision really. I've always been short, but I believe that God's going to release for me. God doesn't have to be reasonable. And... Um, God can bring a donkey or a colt uh, to bring Jesus to people. And um, I was chatting with Lisa on Friday, and she was talking about the idea that actually, do you know, um, we can be that donkey. We can be the, the mule that brings Jesus to people. And um, 
And sometimes that's our call. So that's all we are. We're just kind of this pretty dumb animal who's just wandering into the room. But we've got Jesus on our back. And, uh, and people can see him and give thanks to him, give thanks for him and, and shout, praise him. That word Hosanna is really a weird word. We don't translate, it's another one of those words we don't translate, but it basically means God save us or God help us. So they see Jesus and they say, God help us. Well, that might have been what they meant, but that wasn't what they meant. They actually saw Jesus as being their king. When a, a man comes in on a mule in that way, if he was coming in on a horse, he'd be coming in in war. He's coming in on a mule because he's coming in peace. The kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom of peace. And he was coming to bring liberation to his people. And they're all excited about this. So they've heard God. But have they really fed on the truth? I'd like to propose that you think about the fact that they didn't feed on the truth. They've heard something. And actually, they've recognized something. But they've stayed in that revelation. They've not actually understood what Jesus is there for. So they're doing the right thing. They're cutting branches and waving them. That's what they should have done. This was the appropriate thing to do when their new king came. They even said the right thing. But within a week, they'd forgotten about... Let's just go back. Within a week, they'd forgotten all about what they were supposed to be doing. Within a week, Jesus is on a cross because those same people that were shouting Hosanna would rather save a murderer than save him because, frankly, he's just not up to the job. He's not the one that we were looking for. So it's possible to hear God accurately but fail to see the right consequence Truth has to be handled carefully, which is why when we read the Psalms, the words like Selah are so important, because you have to stop and you have to think, and you say, Lord, what are you saying to me in this? And it won't always be the same, it won't always be the same for everyone. You see, I think there's even evidence that Jesus weighed what to do uh, as he goes into Jerusalem. Well, I've never read it before, and I'm sure it's not new, believe it or not, I don't think God slipped it into my Bible when I wasn't looking. But, you know, when you read um, verse 11, it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, yes, the following day, this is the day when he goes in and he kicks up the right fuss for everything that's going on in there. Not a right fuss. He brings the word of God. Says you, this is a place, a house of prayer, and you've made it into a den of thieves. He goes in with the with the whip, and it, in Sunday school, we'd, some of us been taught this is when Jesus lost his temper. He was out of control. He's going around. He's turning over the tables. But actually, look, he was there the day before. He saw everything. And he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, Bethany's on the Mount of Olives, and that, that's the place where I think he often went to pray. And I think he saw what he saw. God, I can't, I can't just accept this, Lord. Help me. What do I do? 
I think there's something that's in that story that isn't in that story. There's something that's happened between him going in, seeing everything. He's checked it out, and he comes back, and the next day, that's when he does what he does. And I, I, I think that, in a way, it's, um, it's connected with this pause, this waiting. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the same, because actually, uh, actually, I believe the sailor word is much more about feeding on truth than sort of specific instructions to do things. And I don't think we should be in a place of paralysis of analysis. Jesus took one night to do this. He's not sitting there for three weeks thinking, oh, I think I should do something about those tables. You know, it's, it's, it's literally, it's late, so he goes away, he prays, he comes back, he's prepared the next day, and he does what he needs to do. So he's prepared, but within a week, the people that he had been delivering, or was there to deliver, were crying out for his crucifixion. There are times when God wants us to take immediate action. There's no doubt that sometimes things come across our path that we need to respond to. We cannot, cannot ignore. And something comes up in a conversation, we have that sense, that prompting to pray for someone, to reach out, to, to see God touch them. Absolutely right. There are other times when actually let that, let that conviction build. Because when it's matured, it will actually come with much more accuracy than that thing I first thought of. I can, think of um, I can think of times when God's spoken to me in, in this sort of context, and, um, and I've sat, because I'm a, little bit, I'm a little bit dithery, just a little bit dithery, a little bit hesitant. I know, so I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, there's the one. By the time I actually share it, which might only be about 10 minutes, to me it feels like a long time, my legs are shaking. Just know that I've got to get this thing out because there's something that has come. And I think that God wants us sometimes to wait for that moment because then it comes with the maturity or the, 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 the passion, the intensity, the conviction. I think that's the word I'm really grasping for, the conviction that he wants it to have. So... What I want to do is just spend a few moments looking, going back to Psalm 46 and to feed on some of these truths together. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the psalm. We're going to read the psalm together. And I want to just pause where the pauses are. And it might be a bit reckless, but I'm kind of thinking that one or two might want to say, you know, I want to thank God for this. And it's something that's, that God's helped you with in the context of these words. So God is our refuge and strength. I'm going to, um, I'm going to just explain a bit about the psalm and then we'll, then we'll have that time of thanksgiving. I've just remembered something I want to say about this. But God is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in t- trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah. 
God is our refuge. He's a place of safety. We can go to him no matter how bad things are, no matter how fearful we might be of, of the consequences. He's, already, he's always ready. He says he's like, um, like a, a mother bird nestled with chicks under his wings. He keeps us safe and secure. He's ready to calm our spirit. He's our strength. Um, we may be weak in ourselves. Last, was it, I can't remember, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at how God's grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in weakness, says Christ. No matter how weak and powerless you feel, God is your strength. He'll not fail you, just as he did not fail, say, Paul. This phrase, an ever-present help, I was intrigued by this. I looked at what the word ever-present meant, and it means it's abundant. And that reminded me of the water jars being full to overflowing in the, in the water-to-wine story. That there's a way of God's provision that is, is just overflowing. But we can feed on other truths. And so I want to spend a bit of time feeding on these truths because these are true, and other things that, are, that we have in our heads are not of the same order. So God's help is found in abundance. It's not just barely enough, not just to let you survive, but he's willing to place all the resources of the universe at your side. Those who are with you are greater than those that are with them. Noah faced a complete change of the earth, never rained but somehow water comes up and there is no land God kept him safe throughout that time Jesus sends his disciples out on the boat they get in a storm and Jesus walks out in the water and the water's piling up and they're all getting afraid and he says don't be afraid it's me whatever storm you're facing Jesus is saying don't be afraid I'm here I'm here Peter's ready to sink, and Jesus catches hold of his hand. Jesus wants to catch hold of our hands this morning, so we don't sink. We can trust in him, even if it seems impossible. So just, um, what I think God wants to remind us of is just the immense power there is in this truth for us, and maybe sometimes we feed on truths like that we make up ourselves. There is one who doesn't speak truth. There's one who speaks lies. And um, and so we need, that's why God encourages us to read, to read the word, to, to dwell on it, to reflect on it, because actually that truth will set us free. You see, there's a, it goes on to say, there's a river that, I'll just read these now and then we'll move on to response, but there's a river who's, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. We're in the, we're in the midst of a time when... The world is going to be in uproar. We've just had a budget. 
We don't know what's going on. We do know what's going on, and it's not necessarily very pretty. And we're living in a part of the world whose standard of living is very dependent on money that we haven't really got. And the nations are tottering, frankly. But God, in his wisdom, given us a place where we can be the city of God, where there is a stream flowing out from us. This picture here, um, I guess you know, it's an aerial picture of uh, Egypt. And can you spot the River Nile? You know, it's this green thing. Now, the river isn't green, but where the river is, life can burst out. And as I was thinking about this river that makes glad the city of God, I was thinking about the fact that where you are, you irrigate. Where you are, life can spring out. Where you are, in the midst of that desert, when God sees from where he is, he sees that life bursting out. And he's a stronghold, high on a mountain. He's a place where we are safe, we're secure. You know, we know that nothing happens on earth that God doesn't allow. <laughs> Isn't it funny that so many of the Psalms are written as if we need to sometimes be in a strong place? And uh, I think what that's saying is because we're in that strong place, we know, we know that we're safe. We know, no matter what the circumstances look like, he's with us. He's with us. Do you know that you're God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? Do you know that we've been joined together to become the place where God lives by his spirit? You know, we're not just a church with a dwelling of God. He lives here. This is where he is. And there are other churches around the world and up and down the country where he lives also. But this is where he lives in our community for us. And just like the River Nile, there is that green patch that spreads out from you to the community, to your households, to where you are. You see, God is powerful. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who's wrought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot with fire. Cease striving and know that I'm God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. So, we know that God encourages us to struggle with his energy that works within us. We know that there's a balance here. There, the New Testament talks over and over again about working out your salvation. Well, there's one verse where it says, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. We know that there is a struggling that Paul talks about with, his, with God's strength that's within him. But there's another place where God wants to just rule. Stop trying. Let me rule. Feed on my truth. Let me be setting you free by the word of truth. Don't try and find that freedom for yourself. Let me just set you free. 
You know, when the guys are in the prison and they're singing to God, and um, there's a prayer meeting going on to see Peter released, uh, uh, Paul, sorry, Paul and Silas released, um, and, um, and like they're, they're just losing themselves in worship, and the doors open. Now, they could have carried on struggling to get out of the walls, but actually what God had in mind was a completely different deliverance. And uh, sometimes we can look at a problem that we face and want to attack it with a hammer and chisel when actually God just wants to open the door. Um, you know, th- th- there are things that we face that, that God's grace will bring a change to. And I believe that, that that's really key for us. So it's time to really listen. It's, it's time to, to do that thing. Are, is there a sense in which you could be striving after a wind, something that you can't catch, you can't scoop air um, uh, you know, into, into a kind of pile and say, here it is. You know, when the wind blows past, it's gone. And uh, we just it's a bit like that with our lives. We can't catch it, but God can give it to us. We can be afraid of change. We can be afraid of great piles of stuff that are in the way between us and where we know God wants us to go, whether it's our sin, whether it's people around us, whether it's particular attitudes or problems, sickness. God wants us to be involved in casting those mountains into the sea. He's he's made us to be earth changers for the kingdom's sake. God's our refuge, our strength, our abundant help. Stop striving. Know that I'm God. God's given us an alternative view to the one we held. Many of us have been challenged to actually confess some things that we knew were wrong because we listened to lies, not the truth. And it takes time to get it right. So if if I've been challenged, I think I've spoken here about it, but I felt challenged about relationship, about depth of relationship, about about there being a, a, a fear of losing people that were near to me, and that was holding me back in my relationships. I'm aware that that's something I need to continue to battle with. God's spoken that truth to me, so I could just say, oh, yeah, sure, I understand that. But I know that God has an increasing measure of that for me. And so I want to dwell in the truth that actually God has set me free from something. Um, as part of an outworking of that, after 21 years nearly of marriage, Christina and I tried to pray together again this morning, as we have done, uh, not this morning, in, the, in this last week. We started doing, I think we might even be up to week number two of, uh, since, uh, since we decided to try and do this, which is something we've walked um, in a slightly, uh, without uncovering, I'm not, not embarrassed, are you? No, that's all right. Uh, I should have checked this out first, shouldn't I, really? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, Daniel, can you sort us out over lunch? Is that all right? Yeah. Um, uh, we've we've often we've often struggled to pray sensibly together without throwing things. Let's just put it like that. Um, Lord, show my wife that she is wrong. Help her to cope with my problems. She doesn't understand what it. No, no. Um, but actually, 
I felt, you know, this is something that has to change. If Christina and I are going to move to the place that God has for us, there has to be a new spiritual life to us. And um, so anyway, so we're, there we are. We've probably prayed together I don't know, a, number, a number, for weeks, weeks and weeks. But in this last week, um, there was a particular thing. Um, I, what should I say about the first time we prayed? Yeah, you know, the one when we met together to pray and we didn't actually pray and I just went out and slammed the door. Do you remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> that was good. That was good. But the second week, see, God's graceful. God is full of grace for us. <laughs> this week, this week we prayed specifically about a particular situation. And sometimes... We both get a little bit stressed with work. I know that's a bit hard to believe. But something had happened that was completely out of uh, our control with a, with a letter, which is a really important letter that Christina had posted in the way that she posts 100 letters a day or whatever it is. I don't know how many letters she posted. It's probably not 100. It's probably two and a half or something. Anyway, how many letters is she posts a day? This particularly very vital and irreplaceable letter had been sent... And so, being efficient, Christina, she thought, I'll just phone up to check, because it's weird, it hasn't appeared where it should have appeared, so I'll just phone up to check. And the company said, oh, no, no, we haven't received anything from you. And um, this irreplaceable letter had gone astray. Now, it wasn't entirely irreplaceable. It would have meant an awful lot of hassle to sort out. But when we met together on Wednesday, I said, I think we should pray we agreed. I don't mean I, yeah. We agreed that we should pray that this letter would appear. Funnily enough, it hit the bank account the following day. And uh, we only found that out yesterday when, um, uh, when, when it appeared online. But it had actually been cashed on that day, uh, on the following day. And um, I want to encourage you, if you've been not seeing fruitfulness in a particular area, feed on the truth that God has spoken to you, not on the lies of the enemy that says that this thing can't work, that this is not good enough, that, that somehow he can't reach you where you are. That's not true. When you see people giving thanks and you think, well, it's all right for them, but what about me? God's saying, I've got you in the, in, completely in my sights. I am watching you. I know when you rise. You know, I, 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 I'm following you. And you can't go away from me. I am an ever-present help, an abundant help. So when you hear a testimony and you think, that, that could relate to me, grab it. Because that truth, that truth is true for you. So I want us to um, finish with that, that song that I, I was using earlier, and then we'll go into some worship. But I think, I'm just going to remind you, is that all right? Not stressing you too much? It's fine, it's fine, that's all right. Um, I'm just going to read you the lyrics before we get to that, just to, just to remind you of some of the things. See, I was thinking about the, the testimonies that we have spoken to one another. I've been the one to shake with fear. I've been the one to wonder if you're even here. I've been the one to doubt your love. I've told myself, you're, you're not enough. I've been the one to try and say, I'll overcome by my own strength. 
I've been the one to fall apart and start to question who you are. I've been the one I held down in chains beneath the weight of all my shame. I've been the one to believe that where I am, you cannot reach. Now, I think that for some of us, there are aspects of that. I'm not trying to project the songwriter's emotional response to God onto you, but I am saying to you, there's some things in there that you you can agree with, that you know that you've been through. Because if there are, I think it would be a good thing to dwell on the truth, which is the other half of this song. Talking to God, you're the one who conquers giants. You're the one who calls out kings. You shut the mouths of lions. Those things that the enemy puts amongst us to tear us apart, he disarms them. You tell the dead to breathe. Maybe there's something that's died, actually, that God needs to bring back to life. Some kind of, some kind of hope or dream that you've had. God breathes it back to life. The one who walks through fire. You take the orphan's hand. You're the one Messiah. You are, I am. Okay. So we're going to play the song. Um, now, if you, if you feel to respond, what I suggest is when, when you feel to respond, when God provokes you, I suggest you stand. Uh, and then we're, and I'm going to pray for you. We're going, to, we're going to pray for one another, but we're going to pray. Okay?